Welcome to the 54th episode of Delica, a podcast between two friends about the latest in politics, society, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Stephanie Dankelisan. And I'm Sweden Lee. And this week... It's a very depressing episode. As you might have guessed, we are going to be talking about the presidential vice presidential choices for the Indonesian elections and Jokowi's choice of Maruf Amin and a little bit about Prabowo and Sandi. But we're really going to talk about Jokowi's choice of a known extremist Indonesian cleric as his vice presidential candidate. And there are so many, so many problems with that. It's a conversation that we're having with ourselves. I'm sure so many of you are having those conversations as well with your friends. And it's a, a conversation that we really wanted even some of our old guests to chime in on. So we also have comments from our previous guests, Rocky Intan, Fabiana Ferdows, and Afu Utami. Yeah, and it's definitely a conversation that we encourage everyone to have because we're going to have to keep vigilant and keep talking about this. And yeah. Here's to it. So, listeners, um, as many of you probably would have known by now because it's been two weeks since the announcement, uh, Jokowi has chosen the controversial Indonesian cleric Maruf Amin as his vice presidential candidate, while Prabowo has chosen the current vice governor of Jakarta, Sandiaga Uno, as his vice presidential candidate. But suffice to say that we have a lot more to talk about the first pairing rather than the second one. <laughs> Maruf Amin. I mean, I understand he's been around in politics and instrumental to a lot of unsavory conditions in Indonesian politics. Mm-hmm. It was also like in terms of uh, insider reporter gossip, like it was also surprised to even top political officials mm-hmm. who thought that Mahmoud MD would have become the vice presidential pick. I mean, it was like an 11th hour kind of decision, right? Everybody literally probably within the last 48 hours before Jokowi announced it, thought that it was going to be Mahfoud yep. rather than Maruf. And, you know, Jokowi even teased like, oh, the vice presidential candidate, the initials is going to start with M. Oh my God. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. It was it was such a game. And then for it to turn out to be like this, which is literally a, a move out of left wing, it's just, it's so, it's so weird. Well, I guess right wing in this sense. <laughs> right, right wing. Um, I think for our listeners who are not familiar who with who Maruf Amin is. Oh right, yeah, we need to we need to go back. We need to go back a little bit, way back. I mean, this guy is seventy five years old. <laughs> so Maruf Amin is an Indonesian cleric. Mm-hmm. Um, as I've said earlier, he's seventy five years old, and he's currently the chair of the Indonesia Ulama Council or Majlis Ulama Indonesia, as well as the general guide of Nahdlatul Ulama. Um, and it's the world's largest Islamic organization and is a very powerful organization in Indonesian politics. Mm-hmm. Maruf himself has had experience in parliament and government. Uh, he was a member of parliament with PPP, the United Development Party, an Islamic party um, in the 70s and 80s. And later on in the 80s and 90s, around the transition out of the Suharto era, he aligned himself with PKB or the uh, National Awakening Party, also an Islamic party. And even in the late 2000s, he was aligned with uh, SBA, uh, being a part of his presidential advisory council. 
So he's been around politics for a while and, you know, jumping around different kinds of parties, but certainly Islamic leading. And his leadership in the Indonesia Ulama Council is one we'll be talking a lot about because, oh boy, there's a lot of problematic baggage there. I mean, so just to also clarify, it's not that Maruf Amin's age 75 that I have a problem with in terms of mm-hmm. like his being picked. Like that's like the least of my concerns. I, I don't want that to be construed as like being ageist or whatever. Um, if anything, Jokowi had a one year discount. Yusuf Kala is his current vice president is 76. So, yeah. Which is clearly not part of the issue here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not the issue. It's the fact that his legacy of actions in politics is horrible. I don't even know like any, any other way mm-hmm. to like say it. I can't really even really think anything redeeming about him. I think for a lot of people who are not particularly um, in tune with Indonesian politics, especially Indonesian Islamic politics, you know, Marv Amin seems like a name that's out of nowhere, but he's influenced a lot of the kind of treatment to minorities in Indonesia because of his leadership at uh, MOE. Mm-hmm. Most recently, in 2016, with the Aho blasphemy trial, he was certainly one of the leading figures who was calling for Aho to be convicted uh, under blasphemy. And he was. You know, he's in prison right now. Okay. And I think, you know, Maruf Amin has always been... Uh, for his supporters, he's touted as like, oh, he's a knowledgeable, intelligent scholar, academic, he's a quote-unquote moderating force, and he's a moderating force when compared to the kind of Islamic extremist that is in the spectrum. What are, who are we, like, comparing him to, like, actual terrorists? Pretty much. Is this what we're comparing him to right now? That's, like, what enrages me. Like, he's a moderate because he's not a terrorist. It's the main argument, right? Like, mm-hmm. he's, he's friends. I mean, for one thing, like, Ooh, I got to make sure I don't blow my audio levels because I'm starting to yell now. Um, <laughs> it's about to get heated. Uh, for one thing, I think it says a lot that Habib Rizik supports him and sees him as a teacher and a leader. Like if that's not a red flag and like a default, hell no for liberal. Like what what else are you going to what else are you going to like? Fall back to. Marufamin is currently in Mecca right now. Mm-hmm. And he said he's going to go and, you know, chat with good old Habib Rizik as if like they're buddies and stuff. And without a doubt, the choice of Maruf Amin is certainly in part in Jokowi's attempt to court that crowd, right? Yeah. And that's highly problematic when this is a crowd that has trend very physically and very literally to persecute minorities in Indonesia. Yeah. How did you interpret Jokowi's part in making this choice? Like, you know, what do you think? I mean, it's a purely political choice in terms of how looking at it positively. And I've been talking to my friends, some of my friends who this is a way he thinks that he can avoid a presidential campaign that always accuses him of being politically too liberal or like Mm anti-Islam. So in a way that nullifies that argument and therefore making yeah. Indonesian politics overall less sara or like less heated in that way and like less identity politics, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, sure, it's a VP candidate, but it's not purely symbolic, right? Like, I, I don't think you can say that this choice is has no consequences. Mm-hmm. For me, there's two levels of this pick that needs to be analyzed, right? One is like mm-hmm. one is like what this reveals about Jokowi himself. 
in terms of like the symbolism of the choice, right? Yeah. And secondly, like what are the tangible ramifications of this choice into our politics if Maruf Amin gets chosen? Mm-hmm. And to me, symbolically, it's, it, I think it reveals something deep about Jokowi and who he pretended to be or who he was and is no longer. Um, that is to say that he used to be or pretended to be liberal and someone who is Pancasila nationalist, right? Like, believes in the plurality of Indonesia as a country that respects the faiths and um, identity of everyone who is Indonesian. I mean, unity and diversity, right? Supposedly. Supposedly. And now he's just like, I guess uh, whatever gets me reelected and... I mean, you know, I think... I don't necessarily think he was pretending. I think he has become a certain kind of politician that is disappointing from our end as progressives, liberals in Indonesia, right? Like there's so much hope for him when he first became president in 2014. And the last four years, it seems that he has strayed further and further away from those progressive ideals and more. I think he fell off a cliff. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Straight so far that he fell off a cliff. Okay, sorry. I mean, fair. I mean, that, that's your take. Uh, but certainly, you know, he's he's succumbing to the to the identity politics of the game that's being played by people around mm-hmm. him, whether that's people in his own coalition as well as his opponents, right? And what I think we should also talk about is why Maruf Amin was chosen when there was a very strong other option, in my mind, uh, which was uh, Mahfoud Emde. And I think... We should talk a little bit about him because, well, well, he's he's him. He's not happy about this either. Hello. <laughs> Might just be a little bit jealous. I mean, yeah. So for our listeners who don't know, Mahfoud Emde is a politician and a lawyer that is currently affiliated with PKB, the National Awakening Party, one of the parties that is part of the Jokowi coalition. He was most famously the former chief justice of the Constitutional Court um, until 2013. He was also a minister under the Gusdur administration, um, the Minister of Defense, and later on the Minister of Justice and Human Rights. So he is a seasoned politician, uh, whatever that might mean in Indonesian politics, but he is a seasoned veteran. <laughs> and he is 61 years old, and he is uh, a much more, he certainly has his Islamic leanings, but he is a much more real moderate, in my opinion, when compared to somebody like Marf Amin. Who Who else is going to be worse, like... Is Jokowi going to have Habib Rizik as our best presidential candidate? Like One of the reasons why, uh, at least a lot of people have been reporting from the coalition, one of the reasons why Jokowi and the coalition did not pick him as the vice presidential candidate is because he is uh, seen as a potential contender for the 2024 presidential elections, the next round, yeah. because he's only 61 years old. And so they didn't want to sort of like prep somebody that could potentially rise into power further down the line and so they're like okay this 75 year old cleric who's clearly chosen practically to do one thing and that is to appease the islamic base he's the safest political option Mm -hmm. but that is as you can tell from stephanie and i's reactions and later on from our fellow guests that is alienating so many potential voters especially young voters right people who probably voted for jokowi in the first time
when President Jokowi announced Maruf Amin as his VP pick, I was very extremely disappointed. It's difficult for me to keep supporting President Jokowi when his VP pick is very influential in the rising intolerance of Indonesia recently. Um, as chairman of MOE, he is influential and crucial in the growing prosecution towards Ahmadis and the growing intolerance towards LGBT rights and the Ahok blasphemy case. Previously, I was sure to vote for President Jokowi for the next election, next year's election. I'm not sure now. For me personally, voting and supporting President Jokowi has always been an exercise of the lesser of two evils. Now, with his VP pick of Maruf Amin, it has become an exercise of the better the devil we know. And I am not sure my conscience is ready to do that. Personally, um, my reservations for non-voting is the consequences of non-voters in a tight election in which there are numbers or significant numbers of non-voters. Since the upcoming elections um, seems to be in Jokowi's favor um, significantly, um, we will see how it turns out. I think it's pretty reasonable to say that um, the minority group is the victim in this catch-22 situation where you're literally choosing between a military guy who murdered activists and another guy who took part in fueling, you know, the, the movement of the conservatives that may have led to um, imprisonments, if not murders. Um, so this is really not an ideal situation and many people think that not voting is the best way to go which i really appreciate and understand where they're coming from but at the same time i think um you know there's a very different the way i put it there's a very different arrow of power relations between you know these evils one of them is going to be the president uh, meaning He's going to have the final say in the policies that will be taken and, and some very crucial decisions, uh, whereas the other is, you know, the vice president. And some people might think that um, vice presidents have some a certain degree of power, uh, but at the same time, their, their power is really limited. Um, and I mean, they can't issue a government um, regulation or a presidential regulation. There's no, you know, vice presidential regulations. But I can't understand if some people think that he will have the ear of Jokowi uh, or, you know, contribute to some, you know, minority affecting policies. Um, so, so that is a very reasonable doubt. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I would say that knowing that there's this different, again, arrow of power relations between the president and the vice president, um, it's it's something to consider as well. You know, at the end of the day, you're choosing a president. You have kind of, you know, have this vice as their partner, but really the one with, you know, an actual constitutional power is the president. Um, so there you go.
Hi Sweden, thank you for letting me to record this. Okay, this is my rest one. When the first time I heard that Jokowi picked Marufa means the 75 years old cleric as his VP, who also happens to be the chairman of Indonesian Ulama Council or MOE, I saw Jokowi as a different person that I saw him in 2014. Jokowi is no longer a nationalist, but so sorry, I have to say this. He's more close to a far-right politician. He turned to be a populist. So Jokowi peak not only hurts Indonesian minority, but also brings Indonesia to the new era and trend as the global experience now. The era where the conservatism is allowed to grow in this country. As we know that Marwa I mean, in 2001 and 2007 was the head of MAE's fatwa commissions, he signed an anti-Ahmadiyya fatwa and another fatwa against secularism, pluralism, liberalism. I'm not sure this is the right choice for him. Whatever the experts say, that it's just a strategy to handle the Muslim gangster religious vigilante who wanted to use the Islam issue to attack him in opposite. I believe his choice would only benefit his competitor probably. This is no battle anymore between nationalists and Islamists. This is only the battle between so-called nationalist Prabowo Sandi and the wannabe populist Chogo Widodo and Maruf Amin. Trust me, we have lost before the elections. We lost already. I don't know whether there is a hope anymore for Indonesia for the next five years. I'm done with the debate and will accept the results uh, because whoever wins the elections, Indonesia's future is in the hand of conservative. So that was um, snippets and recordings of responses from our former guests, Rocky Intan. Afu Utami and Fabriana Firdaus giving their reactions to the results and you know I think all three of them brought up some really interesting points yeah. from different parts right you know Rocky talked about how he's very unsure about whether or not he can choose Jokowi and is it going to be a case of compromise oh it's definitely a compromise yeah and then you know you've got Fabri who is basically saying that we've lost Jokowi as a as a figurehead I think what's really interesting about what Fabri said is I think she made a really deep point about this reveals Jokowi as a populist and in the most negative sense of the word, not just like empty platitudes, but like he really doesn't care about what it means to believe in a plural vision for Indonesia. Mm -hmm. And he's just doing whatever it takes. And this reveals something really sad and deep about Okoi as a person, I think. Because we felt like he rode the wave into 2014 as somebody who actually believed yeah. in pluralism, yeah. right? Or at least we saw it as somebody who did. Yeah. I think, you know, February also brought up a good point about this is now literally the growing global trend of increasing far-right conservatism is right in our doorsteps. Yeah. And maybe for the longest time we can be like, oh, far-right groups and political parties taking power it's happening in the West, you know, in the States, in Germany, in the UK. That that can't really happen here. We have Jokowi. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we were, like maybe we were naive. 
And um, yeah, I, I think we were naive. It's just so funny. It's like no matter how much you think you can become skeptical about Indonesian politics and how much you think you already have no faith in the country's political system, it can still further disappoint you. Yeah. For our listeners outside of Indonesia, right now there is a bit of a movement in social media and other spaces of a what people are calling uh, well two movements. One is the Golput movement, Golan Puti, or the non-voting movement, and the Jabla Samping or the sideways voting in the margins movement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm a vote in the margins kind of person. It's the nullification vote. So you you go to the voting booths, you vote. But you make your vote ineligible yeah. by like... Stabbing the side. It's basically a protest vote. And in Indonesian campaigns, they do count the amount of votes like this. Yes, that is important because it also prevents voting manipulation, ballot manipulation, things like that. You know, that like if you just don't show up, people can easily just vote on your behalf, basically, if they know somebody. You know, It's funny. I was like trying to think about how to translate jobless something. And it's like, well, I guess it's interesting because in, in Indonesian elections, we stab the paper. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing that needs to be clarified. Like uh, there is still electronic voting. You, there's a very large piece of paper. And then there's a pin that you... Uh, drive your pin onto the piece of paper and stab the face of your chosen political candidate. It's a lot of fun. You can choose to like, you know, either either stab the number or stab their face. And then after you're done, you fold it up, you put it in the ballot box and you dip your pinky or finger in uh, marker ink. Usually it's like yeah. it's supposed to be for black ink, but it becomes purplish. And then that's how they prevent people from voting twice. But yeah, so there are those two movements, right? The non-voting movement and the protest vote movement. And I think I will not, in good conscience, tell anyone to vote for a particular candidate. I think right now it is, in my opinion, people need to vote. I don't think people should do the no-voting route. If you choose to vote and you want to do a protest vote, that is well within your right. Mm -hmm. I personally don't think I would do a protest vote because in a way for me, it's like you've been given the privilege of voting. I treat voting as a privilege and as a right, and we need to be responsible with how, with how we use it. And I would rather I would rather vote for a candidate that I'm fifty one percent more okay with than not vote. I, I think one strong point I think Afo also mentions is like the different positions each candidate is in. Jokowi is in the presidential position, and Prabowo is in the presidential position, and therefore Jokowi is less problematic than Prabowo because. He didn't physically commit human rights violation. I mean, yeah, we're just thinking about like person to person, right? Instead of pairing pair to pair. Yeah. And then, yeah, Sandy is better than Maruf Amin, but that's both in the vice presidential category. And so this should be a weighted decision, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that makes sense to me, too. Uh, I just st- still feel like unconvinced, I think, emotionally. Like, I think I'm just so fundamentally disappointed in Jokowi and so physically unable to vote for him mm-hmm. when I probably come to the voting booth that, and I feel strongly enough to protest vote. I do think it's interesting that in, in Indonesian politics, like the Jabal Samping is counted and I, I can definitely see the argument that it's like if there is a sizable enough proportion of that, then that means something that that signals something to whoever's in power, that they're clearly dissatisfied with both candidates. I mean, I don't think that's gonna likely to happen, right? Like, I don't think... Not significant enough, you think? Significant enough for people to vote 
I think for the most part, except for minorities, people like, oh, yaudalah, like, oh, fine, we'll just vote for Jokowi, it's disappointing, but fine, you know? Mm-hmm. But I, I think also, like, I, I also am very annoyed at liberals who tell other minorities and marginalized people that you have to vote Jokowi or else like you're betraying the movement or the liberals. I don't think liberals should pressure minorities to vote for Jokowi and that argument about if you choose Jokowi then you're choosing progress. That argument may may no longer fly, right? That That doesn't exist anymore. So part of me, you know, I'm I personally will probably not do trouble something, but that doesn't mean I won't. I will necessarily choose Jokowi either. I I'm sort of like keeping myself open minded and be like, all right, let's see how they campaign. Hmm, interesting. Because uh. it's it's really cynical of me. It's like, all right, the power balance between Jokowi Maruf and then between Prabowo Sandi. I'm trying to like leverage to be like, all right, who's gonna be the more problematic if they become into power? And I don't actually know who's gonna be more problematic. That's right. Right, you don't, you don't, you don't know. That's the thing. Like, I honestly can't say. Like, okay, let's say Prabowo Sandi becomes the president and vice president. I don't know if it's that's actually worse for the country. Yeah, liberally or progressively. Yeah, there's still, I think, a certain comfort level with them being in the politics and openly for so long, and they're kind of in a way almost more predictable. Whereas Jokowi, like, just shifted 180, right? So I feel so, like, I don't know him anymore. Like, I don't know what he stands for because he clearly, like, did 180. Just want to say that I am unusually despondent because I've had my professional life just going really well for me here in New York and it just makes me really sad that things are not so great back home and it just it's a it's been a really like honestly when I heard the news I was on Skype with my parents and they were incredibly shocked and um five years is a long time like to have a present in Indonesia it's not gonna be ideal and it was a lot to hear that news when I had so much to do and it just completely derailed my day Mm -hmm. so like if you hear any sort of feelings that I do have however harsh it's because I actually really do care about Indonesia a lot and I love my country and that's why I think a lot of us have strong feeling it's not because we hate Indonesia it's because we love it so much Mm -hmm. for our listeners whether you're abroad or not especially if you're not I think it is incredibly important for us to keep being aware of these issues, you know, doing our research mm-hmm. and knowing about where these individual people, not just the pairs, sit in their political beliefs, really scrutinize whatever they're campaigning on, their campaign promises, whatever, and we really like take them to task if they say these things. It's like, all right, because we can't just vote based on instinct or just based on like past records, because right now this kind of goes out the window because of these unconventional pairings. I feel pretty strongly that people need to be more aware, educate themselves, and really, voting is a responsibility, right? Voting is not just something that you do and you get a holiday out of, Mm -hmm. even though a lot of people think it's like that. Voting is when you can tell your leaders what you really think and, in a way, hold them accountable. We should not take that opportunity lightly, especially when circumstances are this bleak.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, delica.id. Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and our Twitter. Please follow us in these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at dialogicapod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's Steph Tank. That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again and see you guys next time. Bye!